Hello, taxi drivers and billionaire aviators and exotic dancers and all the ships at sea, and welcome to A Very Good Year, the movie podcast where we invite a guest to pick their favorite year of movies and talk to us all about that year. Uh, I'm your host, Jason Bailey, and across the mic and across the country from me is my co-host, Michael Hall. Our guest today, folks, is just one of the smartest and funniest goddamn writers around. Uh, She's a native of Oklahoma, so shout out to our fellow refugee of flyover country. Uh, And she writes the essential Substack newsletter, Hung Up which I highly, highly recommend subscribing to. Her bylines have also appeared at New York Magazine and Vulture, as well as the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Vice, Refinery29, IndieWire, and many more. And she was also a staff writer for the recent reboot of Gossip Girl. Wake the kids, call the neighbors. Our guest tonight is Hunter Harris. Hi, Hunter. Hi. Thank you for having me on. Thank you so much for doing this. It's such a treat to have you here. Hunter is one of our best guests on Fun City Cinema. Go back and listen to the Subway Stories episode if you'd like to hear her talk about coming to New York as a youngster and uh, trying <laughs> trying to live her best sex in the city life. <laughs> but for tonight, Hunter, what year did you pick and why did you pick this year for us? So I chose 2004. And I feel like when I when you asked me to do this, I like had a couple years in my head and then I truly sent a list of maybe a dozen movies and you were like oh so it sounds like you want to do 2004 that sounds like what is just yeah what has presented itself yes um but I mean honestly going back through the year it's like every movie in 04 was like a heater Uh like I how I wish I were like older during that time so I could actually see more stuff everything from 2004 I've seen like in retrospect um I mean, I I can't think of like an actually bad movie from this year, which is crazy. All right. Well, now it's time for the the segment of the show that I like to call Jason and Mike turn into dust. Uh, Hunter, (laughs) how old were you in 2004? I was 10. Okay. All right. Uh, I won't ask you what your movie-going regimen was during the year of 2004, but... Um, but even the stuff that I did see, like Shrek 2, like <laughs> Incredibles, like the SpongeBob SquarePants movie, I mean, Good movies. still, fire, yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, and so how long after 2004, then, would you say you turned into the sort of uh, cinema lover that you are now? Like, what was that journey for you in middle America? I would say around the time that I was like 14, 15, like I think me um, having a more like personal curiosity about movies came around the time that like I got my first laptop, Mm -hmm. um, which really coincides with these movies. Like I would wake up at like five o'clock in the morning and watch like Catherine Hepburn, Spencer Tracy movies before school. And that totally coincided with me, like loving the aviator and feeling like I was watching a sort of thesis about this time in like Hollywood history in a way. Um, And then I would say at the same time, like being on the internet, being on Tumblr and like seeing the same Natalie Portman gifts from closer (laughs) circulating (laughs) was like so extremely formative. And this would have been about 2010. Yeah. Um, like, uh, yeah, like 2009, 2010. Um, and so the fact that like, I can sort of track my own coming of age as like someone who watched movies that she sought out, not just like stuff that my parents were watching or that like my friends were watching, um, really does coincide with 04. Yeah. Yeah. And, and things that came to you in these bite-sized formats, as opposed to like, I'm going to go to the video store and find this. But instead, you know, sort of new technology bringing things into onto your radar in in kind of in ways that were really new and interesting. Yeah. And at the same time, though, old technology, I think right. um, that was when like MacBook still had a like DVD drive and I would go to the library all the time and rent movies and just that was like a big way to explore stuff that was not totally new and also like not old enough to be on streaming yet nice. like the sort of earliest days of hulu being a thing right um so yeah that was i think a lot of the stuff that i watched in 04 it was funny i was like listening to karina's episode and like these movies are still important to me but i don't return to them as much in some ways um but we can get into that, all that yeah okay <laughs> let's do well all right before we do 
Uh, let's find out what was going on in 2004 besides Hunter Harris being 10 years old. Here is Mike <laughs> with headlines. 2004. How old were we, Jason? We were I'm already not, I don't, I'm not gonna talk nearing retirement. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I, can, I can't believe I could even hear any of these movies when I went to the theater in 2004. <laughs> uh, the UN declared 2004 the International Year of Rice. So I think we can all get behind that. Right? That's Rice? a non-controversial stance. Yes, definitely. Yeah. That is so random. <laughs> <laughs> In January, NASA landed the Spirit and the Opportunity on Mars. Uh, you know, unmanned rover things, right? Which is nice. another example of someone doing a thing before Elon Musk claimed to invent it. True that. <laughs> yeah, yay for NASA. In February, Mark Zuckerberg launched the Facebook, predecessor to one of the worst things that has happened in my relatively peaceful lifetime. I'm going to say, yeah, tech bros shouldn't that. do social science. That seems pretty yep. fucking simple. Like, yep. do the computering or whatever and hire somebody else to do the socialing. Hunter, uh, do you prefer the Facebook or Facebook? As much as it hurts me to, like, affirm Justin Timberlake, I have to say Facebook. It is cleaner. <laughs> it is cleaner. It, it is. He was right. <laughs> he was right. <laughs> In March, Bulgaria, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, Romania, Slovakia, and Slovenia were all admitted to NATO. Wow. And Putin hasn't shut up about it since. <laughs> yeah. If yeah. you listen to him, he'll tell you that's why he's doing the thing with the tanks and everything yeah, right now. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah I don't really listen to him, though. No. Uh, in June, the UN sent a peacekeeping mission to Haiti after Jean-Bertrand Aristide was chucked out in a coup earlier in the year. So that problem got solved, obviously. Done and done. <laughs> Things been nice and easy in Haiti ever since. Yep. Uh, later that month, the U.S.-led coalition in Iraq turned over <laughs> Operation. Do you like those you, quote marks there? I, could you, you know, hear them in my read? I could, because you can't do air quotes because no one can see us. But I got you. <laughs> the coalition. I mean, this is like Haiti, Iraq in 2000. These are not things to fucking joke about. But like, no. also, how do you leave them out of the news? You know, I don't right. know. Right. It's a right. conundrum. Uh, the U.S.-led coalition in Iraq turned over operation of the government of Iraq to the Iraqi interim government. And oh. we haven't had any more issues there either. Great. Yeah. And that certainly sounds like something that's doomed to succeed. That's bound to succeed is the Iraqi interim government. Everything will go The U.S., right. you know, military goes and sets yep. things up and they always work out. In yep, yep. August... Three dudes walked into the Munch Museum in Oslo, Norway with pistols and walked out with both the Scream and Madonna, worth more than $100 million. Mm -hmm. But I don't know any details about that shit. Just saw a thing on the news, I think. I have uh, I've made very clear to the authorities there my whereabouts on 22nd August 2004. I am tired of answering questions about it, to be honest. You know what the real news item is there for an American? If you What's can that? get a gun to Norway, you can steal a hundred million dollar painting. It doesn't <laughs> apparently was, that's I, all it takes. I was honestly expecting that to go so much worse. Like <laughs> like me in present day. Like, oh my god, what happened? No, oh they just stole two paintings. Okay, easy. easy One of them got like a little water damage. Yeah. Like this is what I'm saying. Like these are some good Norwegian crimes. We right? should all leave this fucking crazy country and move to Norway. There no, because then it would get terrible. Chechen nationalists were wreaking havoc all year, but on September 1st, they took over a thousand hostages, mostly children, in Beslan, Russia. And eventually, the Russian security forces stormed the building. They gassed a bunch of people. It was an absolute fucking disaster. More than 300 were killed before it was done. Um, cool. Cool. Way to keep it light for us in the news today, Mike. Thanks. Thanks so much. Yeah. 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 Chechnya. Yep. yep. A lot going yep. on in 2004. I'm humbled by the trust and the confidence of my fellow citizens. With that trust comes a duty to serve all Americans. And I will do my best to fulfill that duty every day as your president. In November, George Bush beat John Kerry in an election that was sort of about the war in Iraq, but was mostly about like a vague Arabic terrorist boogeyman. Yep. That was such Ooh. a terrible election. It was not I hated a that good, election. It was not a good one. We've I don't know that we've covered a good one yet, but this was certainly not it. Some people didn't make it out of 2004. Spalding Gray, peace be upon him. Jack mm -hmm. Parr. Yep. Marge Schott, rest in piss. Fuck that yep. lady. Fuck her. <laughs> 
uh, Sir Peter Ustinov, Pat Tillman. Yeah. Does everybody know the story of Pat Tillman? Oh, we sure do. Good documentary yeah. about it too. Yep. Yes, I was gonna say I told someone to watch that documentary like last week. Well done, Hunter. Out there doing yeah. the work for nonfiction filmmakers. Yeah. Nice. It's an excellent That's documentary sure about is. a terrible fucking story. Sure is. Uh, Estee Lauder passed in 2004. Alan King, Tony Randall, professional uh, monkey wrangler Ronald Reagan. Bye. <laughs> Rick James. <laughs> Bye, bitch. <laughs> Ray Charles, uh, Marlon Brando, Faye Ray, and Julia Child all passed I in 2004. I think that's going to be the dream blunt rotation. Ray Charles, Marlon Brando, Faye Ray, and Julia Child. N pointedly not Rick James. I don't want to get high with Rick James. <laughs> I feel not. like there was a window in like 68 or so when that might have happened. Maybe. Like maybe. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Richard Avedon, Janet Lee, Christopher Reeve, Yasser Arafat, uh, musician Artie Shaw, one of the yeah. greats. Yeah. Paul Winfield, Jerry Orbach. Okay, see, because the thing is, I can't hear about Jerry Orbach. You remember those ads that were on the subway, like, forever, about J Jerry Orbach donating his eyes after he died? And they were like, go yes. donate your eyes, because the guy from Law & Order did. And it was just a very <laughs> strange campaign. I have nothing Airy to add crazy. to that. It was strange. And they were up there for, like, three years or a something crazy. A long time. Like, long they was, after. They it did was... a big buy. They did, like, yeah. they gave MTA a lot of money to get people to give their eyes up. Yep. Yeah. And finally, and I say this with no respect whatsoever, Rodney Dangerfield. Rodney Dangerfield, ladies and gentlemen. Rodney Dangerfield. There you there go. go. Back to folk. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. In sports, the Boston Red Sox won the World Series for the first time since 1918, and their fans found a whole new way to be insufferable. Uh, the Patriots won the Super Bowl in 2004. Also, just the fucking lowest rung of white culture on display. Bye. Just absolutely Bye. terrible. Absolutely terrible. terrible. Yeah. Uh, Barry Bonds became the third person in Major League history to hit 700 home runs, but a lot of people think he was like doping like Lance Armstrong like at that mm -hmm. level so mm -hmm. people bust his balls about it including yep. at this point apparently me yep. uh, the Seattle Storm <laughs> beat the Connecticut Sun to win the WNBA title in All 2004 right. with another good left hook to the body and since you're going to look that you're going to show on a body punch by Hopkins he couldn't he didn't even see the punch he doesn't look ha like he's going to get up Hopkins guys. was pushing him in and getting a little he's been knocked down in five and a half years and he's not going to make it up it's a Bernard Hopkins knockout of Oscar Deloya in the ninth round. Bernard Hopkins beat the absolute fucking soul out of Oscar De La Hoya. Okay. Shane Warne became the first spinner in history to take 500 test wickets. Hall of Fame numbers for sure uh -huh. in the sport that shall not be mentioned. Uh -huh. Phil Mickelson won uh, the first major of his career at the Masters. So that was right. really sort of there was that was going to happen a lot. Mm -hmm. After that, mm -hmm. in snooker, Jamie Burnett made a break of 148 against Leo Fernandez, becoming the first player to achieve a break higher than the nominal maximum of 147 in a professional match. Absolutely outstanding. Just enjoy that dirty snooker money, Mike. You just enjoy it for pretending like that's a real sport. I got kids. College is getting yep. more expensive all the time. There and finally, go. there was not a World Cup in 2004, but there was a Summer Olympics, and the U.S. won the most gold medals with 36, the most silver medals with 39, second most bronze medals with 27, and the most overall medals with 102 because sports Jesus loves us best. <laughs> <laughs> That's headlines. Thank you, Mike. All right, Hunter, you ready to do a top five? Yes. All right. So we decided we're just going to go completely random. I'm just going to say what's next, and Hunter's going to throw one out, and we're going to talk about it. There is no ranking, pointedly refusing to rank, and we respect that choice. But Hunter, <laughs> what is the first of your five favorite films of 2004? Okay, I'm going to start with The Aviator. There are lines you don't cross. Don't tell me it can't be done. There are limits you don't exceed, unless you're Howard Hughes. She'll go faster. Critics are calling The Aviator astonishing, thrilling, spectacular. It's Martin Scorsese's best movie since Goodfellas. And now, it's a Golden Globe nominee for Best Picture of the Year. The Aviator. Rated PG-13 in select cities this Friday. Everywhere. Because I did just rewatch it today to prepare for this. Hey, look at and you. And 
Well, I had to do my homework. You watched Birth. I had to do my homework. Um, <laughs> we have to talk about that too. Okay, that's next. Okay. Um, <laughs> yes, The Aviator, 2004. This was the movie that really made Leo DiCaprio in my mind as like an actor. It mm-hmm. wasn't Titanic. It wasn't anything else. It was that I was just so, you know, I think when you're 14 and you see like such an intense, like face value, intense performance. Mm-hmm. Um It just totally won me over. And I think that there's so many just like playful, delightful moments of filmmaking in this movie. Like so many just smooth, glamorous, sexy shots that I was just really drawn to. And like just the playfulness of it all. Um, And also the production design is like amazing. The costumes are amazing. Something about it just felt so over the top and like exactly the perfect melodramatic way for me Mm. at that time. Now, where... You know, you have one of my sort of favorite things about Hunter's work is her her genuine love and affection for Mr. Scorsese. Um, <laughs> in fact, if you Google uh, Hunter Harris hung up, the description that comes up, uh, I, I, I wrote this down, a newsletter about pop culture, music, movies, succession, and Martin Scorsese not wearing his glasses anymore. Like that's that's in <laughs> that's in the SEO. So I I'm I am genuinely curious about sort of when was this the beginning of that love affair with his work were you aware of him before this or was this sort of like it that you know the sort of awareness of him and what he did sort of taking flight for you um taking flight i love it (laughs) i did not do that on purpose my god how fucking corny okay I think the first Scorsese movie I saw, quote unquote movie, was the bad music video. Of course. Um, that's, that's a when movie. That's sort of entered my consciousness. I, right. Because it is like, I think, 20 minutes long. Yeah. Um, and then after that, it was probably The Departed. And then after that, I feel like in the middle of that, somehow I watched The Color of Money with my dad. Uh, and But I think The Aviator. Good was- dad movie honestly good movie people always shit on yeah it. oh yeah, like, yeah yeah it rules um it totally rules but i feel like the aviator was the first movie where i was like the filmmaking is so ostentatious like the color correction is like so like loud and fun in a way that like mimics the sort of 30s 40s styling that i was like oh this is like I guess in my 15 year old mind, I was like, oh, I'm seeing choices being made here in like a very overt sort of conscientious way. Um, And that's why it really just stuck out as like, oh, this is like I love whoever made this movie and kind of brought it, brought everything around it. And it is sort of like a classic American, you know, rise and fall story. But there's so much about obsession, awkwardness, loneliness like an outsider and this sort of insatiable ambition that I really you know as a moody 15 year old was like oh fuck yeah that's me like, <laughs> I'm a mad genius too <laughs> I'm not leaving the screening room for days um, yeah I mean no like I woke up at 5am to watch movies yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. I was like yeah. oh I'm going so hard yeah no I you know I was 15 when I fell in love with Scorsese too like I was 15 when Goodfellas came out and then I rented Color of Money and I've never heard it put as succinctly and accurately as realizing that this is someone making choices like he's Mm -hmm. so like it's almost like he's with with these movies he's educating you as to what a director does like what is their job it's to decide to Mm -hmm. put this Mm -hmm. camera here and move it this way and not cut and do all of the sort of Baroque filmmaking that he can do it's it's really, it's really something. Um, faithful readers of Hung Up will also know that you uh, have a lot to say about Leonardo DiCaprio. And uh, I am curious to know sort of where this performance falls for you in terms of, of, of his work and, uh, and your awareness of it then. And sort of, you know, is, is this one of his best performances, do you think? I think it is. Um I mean, it's, I think his best performance is definitely Wolf of Wall Street. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think The Aviator was the first kind of like true adult performance from him, like where you kind of see the boyishness come through and it helps with making this, you know, I think very esoteric, prickly character kind of charming. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was the first time that I was like, oh, this is like a man 
like playing with his beauty in an interesting way and not just doing like the how can I make myself so ugly and so like horrific to like win an Oscar you know I think that was like something that I was very curious about um and you know unlike Catch Me If You Can or something or like Gangs of New York or something like that it it wasn't him playing like beta to another alpha or Mm. him playing like a, a young sort of kind of naive person um I also have to say that like something else about the aviator that I love is that there's such an interesting fun ensemble um John C. Riley, Alec Baldwin and like a very good Alec Baldwin role um (laughs) Alan Alda is great um, in it yeah who else who else oh and then obviously I mean Cate Blanchett I do think that me now I like that performance probably the least I it does feel a little bit too gimmicky Mm -hmm. but in some moments she's they have so much chemistry and she's so right and you're like oh this is gonna like fail like (laughs) crazily beautifully um yeah exactly but then other times I'm like "Mm, okay we it's a little bit too like (laughs) Madame Tussauds like a little bit too like a little uh, over the top Hunter yeah (laughs) exactly but I also think too like the other thing that I love is like how it's such a funny movie about class about Howard Hughes has a ton of money but doesn't really have sort of influence he's like blackballed by the studio stuff like all of that stuff as someone who was just getting into like movies from that time for Mm -hmm. the first time was so fascinating to me and I felt like I was watching an inside joke between people who like knew this history yeah no I you know I hadn't seen it in a very long time I rewatched it for the episode as well um I had forgotten about that dinner table scene with the Hepburn family and like holy Mm -hmm. shit Mm -hmm. that is like one of the most sort of pointed uh dramatizations of a class divide that I've seen in a major motion picture it is intense um the only other thing I wanted to say about this one before before we go to your next is I am no matter I don't know how many times I will see it I will be surprised when the end credits come up and they're like top of the producers list is Michael Mann um, because he developed this movie for years yeah. with Leo and then ultimately stepped away from it. And DiCaprio, I guess, brought in Scorsese because they had just done gangs. Michael Mann, uh, at risk of spoiling, will come up later in this list. But before that, Hunter, what is the next movie on your top five list for 2004? Next is Birth. Yeah. I understand that this is going to sound crazy. I've met somebody who uh, who seems to be Sean. Am I to understand that that 10-year-old boy told you he was your late husband, Sean? He said, it's me, Sean. What am I supposed to think? (laughs) He's back. What do you want? You'll be making a big mistake if you marry Joseph. There's a boy this tall who wants to marry my fiance. You're hurting me. Don't bother me again. The Jonathan Glazer, Nicole Kidman movie. This is kind of me cheating. I think a lot about Nicole Kidman's 2004. The fact that she made this, you know, weird, strange, like upsetting drama. Like that's kind of a psychological thriller. And also did Separate Wives. Like this big studio comedy that's kind of bungled in every way. Mm -hmm. Um, But still, I think, fun to watch is hilarious to me. like no one else was doing it like nicole kidman in 2004 like that's yeah. wild yeah um but yeah birth i i think birth is one of those movies that like i saw at like blockbuster or the library and i was like wow this looks like so like what is this like i was just so curious about it and then by the time i watched it i was just totally blown away Mm. it's so it's like how do you explain that this is a movie about a woman thinking her like neighbor like kind of like a neighbor boy has been her husband reincarnated Mm -hmm. and he just walks in and is like i'm him Mm -hmm. and i like i you can't get remarried because i'm your dead husband yeah um another excellent movie about class and about the way that like this upper east side very succession-y family is like circling the wagons mm-hmm. whenever someone who is from a different class who is a little boy comes in and kind of shatters every illusion that they have yeah yeah the thing that blew my mind because this this was my first time watch for this uh for this episode i've 
consider myself fairly well versed in the, the the cinema of 2004. This one had gotten such shitty reviews when it came out. Like everyone mm-hmm. was wildly dismissive of this movie. And so it just wasn't a priority and I just kind of never got around to it. So thank you for giving me an excuse to finally watch it. I think we just, Jonathan Glazer was just on some shit that we didn't understand yet when this movie came out. Truly. Um, yeah. yeah. And he's not a prolific filmmaker. Like I, I noted that nine years between this and his next movie, which was Under the Skin, which I think mm-hmm. was when we all sort of started to catch up. And then 10 years between that and his new one. This is a very timely conversation because as we're recording, the zone of interest just like took can by storm. Um, mm-hmm. I think people just did not get it did not understand what he was trying to achieve, the level he was working at. I saw a lot of people dismiss it as just kind of like a, a Rosemary's Baby retread, which I I mean... That's I That's just the hair. Yeah. Like, I think that's like kind of the, the strongest connection that you can make. That's about the only connection you can make. So like people are grasping on it. Um, but I think what's really interesting is it's more like an inverse Rosemary's Baby because that's a movie where she's the only sane one and everyone around her is like insane. And in this mm. one, everyone around her is very sane and like she starts to look a little bit insane. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Kinman is just incredible in this movie and it's a really tricky performance. I think she's so devastated. Like the 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 famous scene shot is when she's at the uh, opera mm-hmm. and you just kind of see every emotion, like the shock, the turmoil, like the actual devastation. Like I cannot wrap my mind around this thing that I buried coming back alive. Like yeah. I cannot let him back in my life is so wild and i have to say um an amazing Anne hesh performance too. oh my god she's like, so good she's so fucking dangerous you do not know what she's capable of in that performance she's scary yeah. and like just menacing in the perfect way and also has that kind of like just like you never get a read on her even mm-hmm. i don't want to spoil like kind of a twisty moment right. but like you never understand exactly what she wants or what she's after and it's just continuously shocking yeah yeah um also i think worth mentioning maybe like sort of the the quintessential danny houston performance in this movie like he is so he is so i'm, like, I'm remembering now that he's also in the aviator like yes, he's playing like kind of the same guy yeah like, yeah but the like I, Oh, that like that sort of like, you know, uh, affable patrician thing. And then the way it like falls to fucking pieces in that scene where he falls apart on the kid. Like I was. He truly becomes like feral. Yes. Yes. I was like mouth agape at the screen when he went at that. It's so fucking good. It's so good. It's so. But then we also comparing that to Lauren Bacall. Oh, yeah. Who is so icy and Mm -hmm. steely and like. There's that one shot that I think was my Twitter banner for a long... It might still be, actually, where it's Lauren Bacall and Nicole Kidman sitting at lunch. I think it's lunch because it's, like, light outside. And they have glasses of red wine each. And they're having this whole conversation and not looking at one another and not looking at the camera. And it's just, like, Mm -hmm. a wide shot of the two of them. And it's just... That's the moment where I was like, oh, wow, this is like nuts. Like, who, who goes see a Nicole Kidman movie in 2004 and is like, what is happening right now? Like, I love yeah, it. Yeah, beautiful. All right, Hunter, then what is your third favorite movie of the year 2004? Um, let's do Collateral next. Most people, 10 years from now, same job, same place, same routine. Man, you don't know where you'd be 10 minutes from now. <laughs> you just met him once and you kill him like that? But I should only kill people after I get to know them. You drive a cab, I'll make my rounds. You might make it through the night. Oh, no! Collateral. New news. We're ahead of schedule. This film is not yet rated. Directed by the aforementioned Michael Mann. I saw this recently like screened for the first time with the museum of the moving image and i'd really forgotten how funny it is it is like there's so many truly like funny lines and not just because jamie fox is like you know a very funny person but like the script itself is like full of these like kind of sly weird one-liners um i think this is an amazing 
Tom Cruise movie mm-hmm. that really like sort of strips him of everything that he usually does. He's not charming yep. or even like frustrated in like a boyish sort of winning way. He is just like, I think everything that we think about Tom Cruise, which is sort of steely, unfeeling, like Nuts. machine, like, yeah, no, just like a crazy person. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it like deploys that so perfectly. Yeah. yeah. And, and then it's also, you know, there is a, a really nice ensemble here, but there's one line that I, I wrote about this for my newsletter recently where Tom Cruise and Jamie Foxx are going into the hospital to see Jamie Foxx's mom. And it's like a random errand that they have to do to kind of like make it seem like the night is like going normally, you know, whatever that means. Mm. And they get to the hospital and Tom Cruise is like, Oh, like you want to get her flowers for your mom. And Jamie Foxx is like, no, they won't mean a thing to her. Like she doesn't care. And Tom Cruise looks at him with like truly a look of like, how fucking dare you like are you at, like the the true like assassin is asking the cabbie like yeah. are you an animal he's like she carried you in her womb for nine months yes and i die every <laughs> single time it's just such a moment of like just absolute galaxy brain sincerity and i think that is kind of like what collateral operates on i think the kind of i think the third act gets kind of like a little bit too like like goofy honestly Mm -hmm. but it's just it's such a weird funny movie to me yeah and i can't and also jada pickett smith is so good in that too she's so good and i love how the first 20 minutes of it like before tom cruise comes in it's a completely different movie it's this like it you it can be like almost like a like a romantic dramedy kind of like or like a slice of light like it feels so different you're right yeah and but you know it's it's one of those things it's almost like uh well i think i think this will will maybe come up later but you know man on fire came out this same year and Mm -hmm. that movie does the same thing on an even larger scale like it's got about 40 minutes of the at the beginning that's just like character study that's just like you know us understanding a relationship but to have Mm -hmm. that kind of patience to set it up so that then when we get to all the action stuff later, it actually matters. There are genuine like Mm -hmm. emotional Mm -hmm. stakes involved. Um, It's a neat trick that I don't think enough action filmmakers do anymore. And I don't know if they are not interested in it or they just think audiences won't sit still for it or what. But I, I remember really loving that the first time I saw it, especially like that feeling at the beginning, like, wait, isn't this a movie where Tom Cruise is killing shit? Like what's happening here? (laughs) Um, but yes, I did see that that post, which we will link to in the show notes, uh, subject to the latest installment of Hunter's ongoing This One Line Plays on a Loop in My Head series. I will say that when I saw the headline, Hunter, I assumed it was going to be about... Yo, homie. <laughs> Is that my briefcase? Which it's not. It was like Mother's Day vibes. I was like, ugh. I, I mean, I can't stop thinking about that. Literally, the mom thing is just so crazy. Yes. And the way you put it in the in in the post where it's like, it's not even, there's no emotional connection. It's like, it's that there was, it's if there was a business transaction of carrying no, something. Truly. Yeah. He's making a calculation in his head. Like, she did this thing for you and you can't even do the small act of buying her flowers? Like, right. how dare you? Right. It's so it's so weird. Yeah. And then, you know, what makes this such a smart script is then the payoff is they get to the hospital room. And as Jamie Foxx said, she doesn't give a shit about the flowers. She doesn't understand why he brought them. Like, a lesser movie would have had her been moved by the gesture in some sort of unexpected way. And no, people act exactly the way you think they're going to act. I love that. All right, Hunter, what is the fourth movie on your top five of 2004? Um, fourth, I'm going to say Closer, the Mike Nichols movie. I liked your book. I'm flaccid. Four lives. Anna, Alice. Hi. Two couples. My boyfriend's here. He's here where? There. One moment that changed everything. I've got to see you. I don't want trouble. Tell me you're not in love with me. Did you steal his soul? If you go near her again, I will kill you. Closer. Rated R. In theaters everywhere December 3rd. This, I, it feels like I planned this in a certain order and I truly did not. Um, <laughs> I love movie stars. Like, that's, I just do. Yeah. And no other, I can't think of another movie 
at this time that really had movie stars movie starring in all of like the worst kind of nastiest cruelest ways mm-hmm. um i have to say that i went to london for the first time in like january okay. and literally i got off the plane and like the first stop on my day of like sightseeing was to go to postman's park where they filmed the first scene of closer <laughs> and like wow. go to the little like Alice Ayers plaque. Wow. Um, of course it was like lunchtime and there were two guys like chain smoking under the sign. So I just sat and waited <laughs> for 15 minutes so I can get my photo. Of course. Um, like as one does. As one does. Um, but Closer was w- a movie that I remember vividly coming out in 2004. I remember seeing maybe the Golden Globes that year and just seeing like the the poster with like all the close-ups and I was like as someone who has loved Julia Roberts Julia Mother Roberts my Mm -hmm. entire life of course I had just not ever seen her be this way Mm -hmm. um and I you know sometimes in like the script is like too clever it's a little bit too you know over the top and it's cruelty but then other times I'm like I just kind of want to be my like cleverest sexiest self and Closer is for all of that narcissism and vanity sort of run amok. And I love that. <laughs> I do too. It is. This is not. It is. There are things that she says in this movie that are shocking to hear Julia Roberts, America's sweetheart, say. Um, mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. packs a punch. Like, that's really intense. Um, the thing that I, because I revisited this one just this morning. I just sort of, I thought I could put it on Hunter while I was doing some other shit. Oh my God, imagine. <laughs> yeah, you can't. No, no, you're watching closer now. And what was really striking to me was something that that we've that has come up occasionally over the past few weeks on the show, Mike, is this idea of like sort of the elder statesman, the very old filmmaker, you know, uh, in the period of respectability, making a younger person's film. And I think it, it's hard to We're overstate. Talking about, uh, Lumet, Lumet and with yeah, before with, the devil knows you're dead. Yeah, and there was some other film I can't remember what now that where where we had a similar conversation recently, and it's like I think Scorsese and Wolf of Wall Street too. Definitely, definitely, he keeps doing that. Um, <laughs> but but Wolf is, is the is, yes, very much feels like an angry you know twenty somethings movie. Nichols, Mike Nichols was old as fuck when he made this movie. <laughs> he was, but yet it's like he was finishing a trilogy of films that he had started with his first movie with Virginia Woolf on to carnal mm-hmm. knowledge about like movies that are about two pairs of broken couples and through them, like the, the ways in which we hurt each other. Um, mm-hmm. And this mm-hmm. one is maybe like, this is not a man who softened in old age. This is the meanest and nastiest and cruelest of the bunch. Uh, in a way that I think is really striking for 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 that. I filmmaker. hadn't thought of it that way as like that timeline, but I think that's fascinating. Yeah. yeah, because so much of Closer is like actually a bad time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, I think there's just so many things happening. I think there's like a you know it's like kind of like persona in my mind. Like there's such a duality to all of these people mm-hmm. that if you turn Natalie Portman you know over, then she becomes Julie Roberts, and same with Clive Owen and Jude Law in a really interesting way. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, the the line that jumped out at me on this viewing was when Jude Law goes into break up with Natalie Portman, and he begins the conversation by saying, "This will hurt," and it's like <laughs> that could just be like the tagline for the movie. This will hurt. <laughs> um, all right, Hunter, what is the fifth and final film on your top five for two thousand four? I'm ending on a sweet note, yeah. and it's before sunset. <laughs> What does it mean, the right man? The love of your life, the concept is absurd. The idea that we can only be complete with another person is evil, right? I'm just happy to see you. Even if you've become an angry, manic-depressive activist, I still like you. I still enjoy being around you. If somebody were to touch me, I would dissolve into molecules. I want to see if you stay together or if you dissolve into molecules. How am I doing? What if you had a second chance? with the one that got away before sunset because it's just such a like going from closer to this is truly (laughs) nutty that's true but it's like you know what is more romantic first of all i like this this is my favorite of the trilogy i don't really like before sunrise as much um but i just think there's like you know, it's the ultimate romance. You're walking around in a strange city and they just have such an easy rapport. And then 
the way that like they'd have the same conversation, I would say four times during the course of the movie. Mm-hmm. And every time you get a little bit deeper, and a little bit deeper and a little bit deeper, they like kind of chip away at each other's artifice. Yeah. Just is perfectly executed. Um, and then the ending is just like, you know, sort of I'm very anxious. So the whole time I was like, what time is it? What time is it? What time is it? <laughs> and then it happens and it's like, oh, my gosh, wait, this is this is like love. Um, yeah. Yeah, someone, I love this movie. As someone who is afraid constantly of being late to the airport, I share your anxiety uh, about that. <laughs> yeah, I my my notes because I I threw it I threw it back on today right before we recorded, and my note was best of the series question mark, but probably definitely best mm-hmm. closing lines. Like I remember 100%. seeing this movie in the theater opening weekend, and just like feeling such joy the entire time even when they're they're like you know going through rough stuff together on screen just because like i was Mm -hmm. just so happy that it existed like was there ever a movie less likely to spark a sequel than before sunrise (laughs) you know like this sort of Mm -hmm. just small scale indie from you know 95 but like i was so happy for them by the end of the movie and i and and to find that that perfect closing note emotionally and to hold it the way that Linklater does is just is astonishing. I also didn't remember it being quite so topical. Like the opening stretches are very much like George W. Bush era cinema in terms of how they're mm-hmm. talking about their lives and about the world around them um, in a way that dates the movie, but in a good way, if that makes sense. I am nostalgic for that level of political like unrest, honestly. Yeah. Like compared to today, <laughs> she's like a cop when we get a gun. I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> that's like, that's the least of Eric Adams' action. Like, that's nothing. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Hunter, for that excellent top five. Uh, as you said, five heaters. And now, a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Mubi, a curated streaming service dedicated to elevating great cinema from around the globe. From iconic directors to emerging auteurs, there is always something new to discover. And with Mubi, don't forget each and every film is hand-selected, so you can explore the best of cinema streaming anytime, anywhere. So for example, this week, if you're looking to watch a little something that is streaming in the U.S. from 2004... Okay, we're going to fudge it. Yeah, we're going to fudge a little. Uh, I would recommend The Five Obstructions. Ha uh-huh. ha Great, great. Is it a documentary? It's a documentary about making things that aren't documentaries. Maybe. Sort of. You know, it's a Von Trier project. He is very hard to like, both <laughs> uh, as a person and as a filmmaker, frankly. But The Five Obstructions is fantastic. He goes and meets his old film professor and basically sort of lays a bunch of challenges down in front of him. And, you know, his film professor is this like super Nordic dude that made the (laughs) most Nordic movie of all time. It feels like it's snowing around you when you're watching that movie. It's a fascinating film. It's very challenging. It's interesting as a filmmaker to sort of think about how you would deal with these, you know, with these obstructions. Introduced to me by a friend of the show, W. Axel Foley. There you go. All right. I'm going to go with Los Angeles Plays Itself, which is a brilliant essay film about about Los Angeles in the movies and how the movies about Los Angeles are about Los Angeles and how movies that are shot in Los Angeles that aren't about Los Angeles are actually about Los Angeles. And all of these ideas that were really banging around in my head a few years ago when I saw this movie uh, at one time, Fun City Cinema, what became that was going to be a film. And I had some big ideas for that. And then I saw this film and I was like, I don't want to just make New York plays itself. I need to find another medium to do that because this movie kind of does it perfectly. Um, so, again, it's 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 thoughtful. It's provocative. There are the 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 uh, the editing is glorious. It's really elegantly put together. And also you'll come away with like, oh, I need to see all those movies. Uh, so that's my recommendation. Los Angeles plays itself currently streaming in the U.S. You can try Mubi for free for 30 days at Mubi.com slash a very good year. That's M-U-B-I.com slash a very good year. All one word for one month of great cinema for free. For L.A. plays itself for free. <laughs> All right, let's find out what films were winning trophies and making money. Here's Mike with awards and box office. Sell out with me. Oh, yeah. Sell out. 
Oscar winner. Uh huh. Lord have mercy. Best picture. Right. Best director to Clint Eastwood. Best actress to Hilary Swank. Best supporting actor to Morgan Freeman for Million Dollar Baby. Pretty fucking good. Uh, Hunter, where do you land on Million Dollar on the 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 now sort of controversial Million Dollar Baby? Um, I actually have never seen Million Dollar Baby. Whoa. Okay. I don't know if I should should I change that like today. I. I've never been in a rush to watch Million Dollar Baby. <laughs> I, I don't know. I the today I I I I pause at. I don't think like after we get done you need to go rent it or anything <laughs> like that. I have always I I'm sort of a sucker for Eastwood. I Yeah, this is what I was about to say. Jason really likes Clint Eastwood. So I, do. I don't know that he's like f- unless you also really like Clint Eastwood. I feel like you need to like downgrade his recommendation on his Eastwood movies by about 20%. <laughs> this right. is my general take. <laughs> All right, fine. I do remember this, that this Best Picture win was a real, like, Clint Eastwood doing some real, like, oh, yeah, I shot this movie 10 days under schedule, and it's going to be ready four months beforehand. Let's put it out at the end of the year. Like, it wasn't on any of the fall previews or anything like that, so it turned into this, like, last-minute dark horse situation, and everybody thought The Aviator was going to win Best Picture because it had won Best Drama at the Globes, and it had won Best Picture at the BAFTAs and the PGAs, and this was sort of like Clint being a spoiler on on our pal Marty, so I don't endorse that, Uh, but I think it's worth seeing. I think there's some good performances in it. I do. But he he it had been he hadn't had like an Oscar nominated movie in a while, right? I mean, this was I recall this as him sort of as sort of this being like the fifth or sixth time the culture set up and was like, oh, that Clint oh, yeah. Eastwood, huh? Yeah, yeah. No, he'd made he'd made some some sort of dogs earlier in the the two thousands. Your your blood works. Your uh, uh, whatever that death penalty movie was. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry, Mike. <laughs> Best actor went to Jamie Fox for Ray. Who was also nominated for Best Supporting Actor for Collateral. <laughs> that guy had a fucking a goal, and he was reaching it. Yeah. Uh, where, where do we land on Ray, Hunter? You know, it, it just, it's like a conventional biopic. Like, what are you going to do? Sure is. I feel yep. like, I haven't seen Ray probably since like 2007, 8. Um, but yep. it, it yep. feels fine in my memory. I don't know. It's completely fine. It's like it's like the, the dictionary definition of a fine <laughs> movie. It's well executed. He's great. He does a. He's a, great. He does and yeah. and uh, mm-hmm. Regina's great. Um, uh, but it is very much your like. You know, it's hard to watch it after Walk Hard and, and take it too <laughs> terrible seriously. The music is good though. It is. It's I mean, that you know, that's like you're starting with a firm foundation, right? Sure are. Sure are. Best supporting actress went to Kate Blanchett for The Aviator. Little gimmicky, huh? This was it's only Oscar or no, it won editing too, I think that year. Um Wow, look at Yeah, that but, sounds about right. Yeah, again. I just like I even today when I was rewatching it, I was like, ugh, ugh, a little, please, let's like turn it down a little bit. Um, but I was looking also mm. at like some other, I think like New York Film Critics Circle went to Virginia Madsen for Sideways. And Sideways is another yeah. really amazing movie in 2004 that on, could make this list. Like if you ask me on Friday or something. Um, mm. But but Yeah. It's just, it's so weird that Cape Blanchett has an Oscar for The Aviator and not for Tar. That's a little, that's a little bit insane. Like that feels nuts. But yes, then so does Leo for The Revenant and not any other movie. Fair enough. <laughs> Speaking <laughs> of sideways. screenplay uh, yeah. to Alexander Payne and Jim Taylor for Sideways. Yeah, richly deserved. Good movie. The movie holds up too. Like it's yeah. a you know it's it's got some two thousand four in it, but it does. You know it does. But it's it is one of those ones that uh, becomes uh, a little more truthful and hard to watch as one <laughs> veers closer <laughs> to middle age. I was thinking about Sideways like two weeks ago. Whenever on Succession they made a joke about like the Malbec morons or something, and I was like, oh my god, <laughs> Succession had to do what to Malbec what. Uh, sideways it's in Merlot I remember think pieces about how about the sideways effect on Merlot sales because like that line was in the trailer like everybody <laughs> knew not to drink fucking Merlot now yeah. best original screenplay went to Charlie Kaufman for a movie that also doesn't exist in time Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind very good film 
I fucking yes. love that movie. Richly, I love that movie so much. Richly deserved best original screenplay. Yes. Well said. Hunter, Eternal Sunshine, thoughts? Yes. The first time I saw it, I thought it was going to be a comedy. I was Oops. very... <laughs> I was like, <laughs> wait, there are no jokes? Um, <laughs> no. I do need... It's like, I need to rewatch it because part of me is like, was I just like young? And the other part of me was like, no, but it's actually so inventive and interesting and yeah maybe maybe i'll rewatch yeah. that tonight there you go there you go best animated film went to the incredibles good movie good movie good i charming. love the incredibles i am incredible yeah. five i have rewatched incredibles too for no reason like truly two weeks ago <laughs> um it's i there's like there's nothing more inventive to me than the incredibles which is that on its face kind of a boring story but just builds this whole like I don't I just I love that movie. Where's nice. my super suit was like the most quoted thing in my like I guess fifth grade class. <laughs> and best foreign film went to the sea inside. I've never seen that movie. I still haven't seen because it sounded so horribly depressing. So I haven't seen that either. Domestic box office top ten. Let's make some money. This list is Less inspiring than Hunter's top five. We'll just say that. Starts with Ocean's 12, though. That's a good start. Whoa, whoa. Number 10 top highest grossing movie of 2004 was Ocean's 12, which Hunter sent me a very concerned email about this morning. <laughs> Hunter sent me an email this morning that she was that she was sick. She was sick to her soul that she had forgotten about Ocean's 12 when she was making the top five list. I, like, it was, uh, it was bad. <laughs> I was like about to email you like, just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. Um, How can I refer to Ocean's 12? Especially because I feel like you tweeted a while ago the Dennis Lim review of Ocean's 12 in The Village Voice, yeah. which is one yeah. of the reviews ever. And I read b because you tweeted it. Um, It's like, it's crazy to me that Ocean's 12 is a movie that is like that exists. Like the Julie yeah. Roberts thing, again, I love her, but still that is so crazy the Vincent Cassell stuff is so crazy. It's just like mm -hmm. truly such a funny, weird movie. And my favorite of the trilogy. It is a true testament to the kind of blank check they handed Steven Soderbergh after Ocean's Eleven made all that money that he was able to go and make a movie this uh, uh, bucking expectation and... Um, as clearly indebted to like, you know, French new wave cinema that he was able to sort of throw in whatever weird shout outs. But I love Ocean's 12. Like me too. It's, it's the best time. It's just a good time. It is. It's a good time and a great score. Speaking of good scores. So that was number 10. Uh, it's such a great way to start. And yep. All downhill from here. I was about to say, I think I know what's coming next. Oh my. Number nine was Shark Tale. Okay. I, maybe I lied before and maybe, Shark Tale was the movie that introduced me to Martin Scorsese because <laughs> he was go. in it with the eyebrows. He is in it. He is. He is <laughs> a shark eyebrows. with big eyebrows. He sure is. You're right. <laughs> okay, you know what? Fuck it. This list is great. Number eight is Troy. He's brilliant. Brilliant. Joaquin's well, brilliant. Okay, Mike. <laughs> Mike is the one person on earth who remembers and loves Troy. I've never seen Troy. Troy is so good. Oh, it's so good. It's Brad Pitt as Achilles, and yes. he's such a fucking bitch. Like, yes. just through the whole movie, he's just bitching about this, and he doesn't want to do that, and he's just staying in his tent, and blah, blah, blah. And uh, all the generals and the bosses and the kings and the rich people are all just the worst human beings on earth. But it's it's a great... Troy, it's a great. It's it's Homeric without being heroic. There you go. That's my that's my line. That's, <laughs> that's my, your my one sentence review. <laughs> uh, number seven, meet the Fockers. Terrible. For my Terrible. money, uh, Terrible. Robert De Niro's best performance. Terrible. <laughs> Terrible. Bad. Unfunny movie. Was this the last one? This no, was that like, was little. That was little, little Fockers. Fockers. How can I forget? Okay, uh, Hunter. But this was the uh, this was the one that did introduce Dustin Hoffman and Barbara Streisand, and it's still bad. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Number six, the day after tomorrow. Moving on. Haven't seen it. Nope. Okay, didn't isn't that the Nuke movie that came out in like eighty two? Mm, Never mind. No. <laughs> oh God. Number five. The Passion of the Christ. 
All right. Um, Hunter, did, <laughs> Hunter, did you see The Passion well, of the listen, Christ? I'm from Oklahoma, and I can tell you I avoided seeing Passion of the Christ both at school and at church. So Nicely oh, done. I will say, thank you, me. Thank you, younger dodged me. A bullet, dodged a bullet two times. Well done. Number four was The Incredibles, aforementioned and well-loved. Yes. Number three was Spider-Man 2. Fine. It's fine. I, I, yeah. I, I It's fine. There was one like I I swear like three year period where where Spider Man two was the only movie to ever be on, and every time <laughs> I'm like it can't be Spider Man one like we just have to see Doc Ock at every time there's a movie yes. on it drove me yes, nuts. Yes, you do. Number two, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. I I never read the book, so I don't know how to say that. Best Harry Potter movie. This almost made my list. I'm not gonna lie. That's 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 the Alfonso Cuarón one. Yes, and it was the first one okay. that felt real. Like they were wearing jeans. Yeah, it's and like so, normal Yeah, kids. it's pretty good. It is pretty darn good. Yes, Alfonso Cuarón can. I'm, I'm gonna make the bold assertion that uh, Alfonso Cuarón can direct a motion picture. So, <laughs> kudos. Okay, All and right. the number one. <laughs> Number one, 2004, Shrek 2. <laughs> jokes on top of jokes on top yeah. of jokes. Yeah, talking, that movie's all right. Talk, talking donkeys and, yeah, yeah, the introduction of Puss in Boots. What's the not The thing is, to- I've never actually seen the whole movie. I've seen several of the five-minute sections that are on YouTube uh-huh. because I have a four-year-old, there and that's go. how having a four-year-old works. <laughs> but go. from what I can tell, Shrek 2, not bad. Is that not crazy that there that there are three animated movies in the top ten? It that is a little nice. like. That I mean, maybe because every Disney movie now is a live action remake that we just mm-hmm. are do not have this bounty anymore. But um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I yeah. like Shrek too. The only thing that comes to mind when I think of Shrek is the Al Pacino phone case, <laughs> <laughs> and I maybe I should rewatch Shrek. I don't know. That's a good that's a good pull. Nicely done. <laughs> All right, Hunter, you ready to do a lightning round? Yes. Okay, you know the rules. We're going to put 5 minutes on the big clock. I'm going to rapid fire a bunch of 2004 titles at you. If you have something to say about it, do. If you haven't seen it or have nothing to say about it, feel free to pass. Mike, you ready? And here we go. The aforementioned Stepford Wives. Love it. Glenn Close. The yellow dress at the end is one of the greatest looks in cinema. I will say it. And also Nicole Kidman in the beginning of the movie with like the the dark black bob bobbing. I love that movie. (laughs) Another maligned at the time remake, The Manchurian Candidate. And I that was almost on my list. I think Denzel, it's not a perfect Denzel movie, but Denzel and Meryl Streep going kind of head to head is like clash of the titans in my mind the movie's okay but yeah i heart huckabees fantastic david o russell he will pay mm-hmm. um <laughs> only because i saw amsterdam unfortunately and that was the worst thing i've ever seen um i heart huckabees i haven't seen it in a long time but i just remember the lily tomlin video and that yeah like, that overshadows the entire movie to me it's kind of eclipsed it in the popular imagination. Wes Anderson's The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. Fucking great. I don't think I've ever seen this one. Pass. Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead. Pass. Haven't seen it. Matt Damon's other big sequel of the summer of 2004, The Bourne Supremacy. I have seen this one, but I can't remember exactly which is which. This is the one where Franca Potenta dies and he is big mad about it. No, that doesn't help. Okay, uh, <laughs> Steven Spielberg's The Terminal was released in 2004. I have not seen all of The Terminal, but I was stuck in an airport for a long time three weeks ago and did think a lot about this movie. <laughs> Tony Scott's Man on Fire starring Denzel Washington. Great movie. I think there is something about you have to have grown up at a certain age, like young millennial old gen z to like this is the movie like dakota fanning in this movie was like the girl um i think it's i think she and denzel just made another movie together or they were on mm-hmm. a press tour together for some reason and i rewatched it and also because jenna ortega told me that like the wednesday actress jenna ortega told me that she wanted to start acting because of man on fire and i was like that is such a strange answer but like i kind of love it 
Um, But as you said before, it is so crazy how so little of the movie is like the actual um, fire, the actual like, (laughs) it's very, it's heavy on man and low on fire until like the last 30 minutes, which is kind of, I mean, a, a, a big, a nice, a nice time. Like, I love that movie. Yes. Will Smith in iRobot. I, yeah, a movie that exists. I can't remember this. It does not distinguish itself from any other sort of post-apocalyptic, futuristic Will Smith movie to me. <laughs> They're going to re-release it and the new, the new poster is going to say, a movie that exists, Hunter Harris. <laughs> <laughs> Edgar Wright's Shaun of the Dead. I haven't seen this one pass. Halle Berry as Catwoman. Um, and Sharon Stone in that movie, too. Let's not forget. Oh, I beg your pardon. Oh, I'm so sorry. Sharon Stone, invented reading. Sorry. I yes. will say I did not know that people did not like Catwoman until like <laughs> eight years ago. <laughs> when I was in 2004, I guess, I was like, this is the movie. Like, she looks so good in the trailer. It's Halle Berry finally a movie that I can maybe potentially watch. That's like not an adult movie. Um, and Benjamin Bratt, like I wish he did more like kind of romantic lead stuff again. There's that one shot that I saw going on, going kind of viral on Twitter about the basketball where she's like jumping around and it's just nutty editing, like truly fan cam level of like cutting and splicing, which I appreciate. 13 going on 30. Did I watch it at every sleepover? Absolutely. I did. Did I learn the thriller choreography? Absolutely. I did. Razzles. I mean, mean girls. I think Tina Fey has sort of low, lowered in the cultural, you know, estimation of her career. But Mean Girls still is like one of the funniest satires of womanhood of high school that I've ever seen. And it's like, what movie is more quotable? Napoleon Dynamite. I That was not the answer to the question, by the way. No, that was just I... the next movie in the in the lightning round. <laughs> I vividly remember watching Napoleon Dynamite and thinking, what the fuck is this? Like, I <laughs> hated it. I was way too type A. I was like, we need a plot. We need to find a plot, please. And it can't be vote for Pedro because my God. And finally, the last film in our lightning round. Hunter, any thoughts on white chicks? It's funny because I'm doing this curation um, and white chicks was one of the movies on my list because... White Chicks is actually hilarious. Is it? White Chicks has grown in my imagination as Mean Girls has maybe lessened. Like, I think it's kind of ahead of its time. It's so mean about, like, the white women stereotypes in a way that I think is, like, very 2023. Like, it's very Karen-y. It's, like, so precise on that stuff, which I think is very prescient. If it came out now and was called Karen, it might is like picking up the phone right now. Like, <laughs> like that. They're in a bidding war with neon as we speak. <laughs> All right. A a beautiful and unexpected ending to uh to our Can I just say round. one thing about the, mm-hmm. the uh, there's just a movie here that didn't get mentioned. Mm-hmm. I just have to say, like, Harold and Kumar go to White Castle is both way better than it had to be. Uh-huh. Way better than it had to be. And also, they were in Hoboken. If they weren't scared to come to a slightly poorer, more uh, diverse neighborhood in Jersey City, that movie could have been 15 minutes long. They could have got their fucking burgers <laughs> and left. But because they didn't want to come to the hood, that I movie, know. they got to go have a whole adventure with Neil Patrick Harris. <laughs> anyway. Unfair. All right. And now we're going to move Thank you, Mike. And now we're going to throw it to our friend W. Axel Foley for a quick PSA. Head on over to your favorite podcasting app. Give us a star, a rate, a review. Give us a written review and tell us that you love us because that's what lets people know that we're here. All right, Hunter, where can people follow you on social media? I am on Instagram and Blue Sky. Hello. At at Hunter H. And I'm on Twitter at Hunter Y. Harris. And my newsletter is hunterharris.substack.com. I, I I know I've mentioned it a lot of times and it's because I've been a subscriber since I think like day one. It's just a good read. It's just good and funny and smart and great. 
Um, I am Fun City Cinema on Instagram, Jason Dash Bailey on Letterboxd, where you can find under my lists the top fives for every episode of the show. Mike, where can the people follow you? I am at Brainwashed Lib on Twitter. And uh, Hunter, trying to be like you, we are now on Substack, a very good year.substack.com, where paid subscribers get bonus episodes, bonus writing, and much, much more. Mike, before we go, what is your favorite movie of 2004? I got to go with Kill Bill 2, man. I think Kill Bill, uh, the sort of one and two are my favorite Tarantino movies. I like Kung Fu movies better than Westerns. So like that's where it lands. I think those are my favorite movies. And, you know, at the end of Kill Bill 1, uh, he have you seen Kill Bill 1? Hunter, you said you haven't seen two. I assume you haven't seen one either. I don't care about spoilers. Oh, well, fair enough. <laughs> she doesn't care. At the end of Kill Bill, like Kill Bill one, you know, he fights the the big bad guy who's not a guy, but he fights, you know, the, the big the big bad at the end of his Kung Fu movie. And he has to fight through, you know, she has to fight through hundreds of people to get to the big bad. Right. But then mm-hmm. that's the end of movie one. So when you get to yeah. the movie two, like they're not going to do that again. And so once, you know, once she sort of reaches the big bad at the end of movie two, not only is he by himself, but they actually have a previous relationship. They have a daughter that they share. It just like it turns the whole sort of structure of Kung Fu movies on its head in a way that to me is like is really fucking cool. And he's, you know, openly stealing shit from a bunch of other movies like he does, but in a way that is really seamless and beautiful and like honoring all of those movies um, in a way that just to me is fucking brilliant. I just, those, that's my favorite Tarantino and one of my favorite movies just sort of period ever and is just infinitely watchable uh, in my opinion. And and even the Western segments of that are better than any other, of his other Westerns. For me, <laughs> in right. my opinion, for me. <laughs> All right. Jason, your favorite movie of 2004. We mentioned it earlier, so I won't dwell upon it, but Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, I went to... Uh, uh, they actually they showed it for Valentine's Day, so we went to the uh, Alamo Draft House and watching it again. It's like it it hasn't. There's not an ounce of dust on it. It just it holds up beautifully. It's so sad and so insightful and so inventive and so handmade and maybe my favorite Kate Winslet performance and like yep. definitely my favorite Jim Carrey performance. Uh, it's just, and maybe my favorite Tom Wilkinson performance, like, like it's at least as good as Michael Clayton with the big bag of bread. Um, it's just, it's just wonderful. It just, it, it does so many things at once so well, uh, that I still kind of can't get over that it exists. And like inventive in a way that he is genuinely an original, you know, with Malkovich and sort of, you know, like, like really inventive in a way that I don't think anybody else could have come up with anything even fucking similar to it, let alone that movie and sort of as perfect as it is. All right. Thank you again, Hunter, for doing this. Thank you. This has been so much fun. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Jason. And thank you for listening. It was a very good year.